You're listening to the You Don't Know Me Yet Podcast Network. Holly Cotton here, and I am super excited about our show today. I have Jaswa Robo Inabakari, and he is a police oversight chairperson. And I just thought that it was really important with everything that's going on in the communities right now, everything that's going on in the United States, that we got somebody that could come and give us some real facts and let us know what is going on. So welcome, Jaswa Robo. Hey, it is a pleasure to be here. I just want to thank you for allowing me to be on your podcast. I'm a fan of yours. I've been following you for a number of years. Got a closet full of strong gear, strong Scott strong squad gear and so i'm just glad to be able to participate in this conversation well, thank you thank you all oh, heart heart love it love it so one of the things that jay swa robo i see him all the time he's always on twitter he's always fighting people uh arguing with people and i love it i love it uh i can't really do it because you know i gotta be kind of you know yeah i need everybody to kind of like me but i love supporting people that can get out there and cuss people out in the nicest possible way so i wanted to kind of get you on here to talk because obviously there if you watch the news if you look at the internet if you uh, all I do is open up my my uh, my news app on my phone, and I there's a influx of gun violence, police killings, excessive force by police. So, with you being a police oversight chairperson, I really wanted to get your opinion on some some of the the things that are going on. So, first, can you tell us about your background and some of your roles that you're doing? Okay, sure. So, um. I, it's interesting. I don't have like a, a um, MPA or anything of that nature. I actually have an IT degree. I have a computer information systems degree. Um, I have attended um, Tulane University, uh, Grambling State University, and I have my uh, information systems degree from University of Texas at Arlington. And that's, that's kind of my educational background career, basically information technology career. And I know that's questioning, well, why are you doing all this in the community if you have a technical degree? And, and basically, one of the things is that I feel that people should be empowered, especially people that look like us. They, they, they should be empowered to, to control the destiny of their communities. And for a number of decades, my push was getting people registered to vote, making sure that people knew what was on the ballot and, 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 and getting out to vote. But then I believe around the time of Tamir Rice and Trayvon Martin, those um, heartbreaking situations where both of these, um, I can't even say young men, both of these children lost their lives senselessly. Um, I got to the point where I was just tired of being sick and tired, tired of seeing a young black boy or man or, or, or child or black woman or, or girl being killed by senseless gun violence, whether it's by a police officer or whether it's by someone who feels they have the authority to be a police officer. And so I felt that more needed to be done to protect those who look like me and so that's the reason why I started my advocacy and, and that's the reason why I became um, 
chairman of a police oversight board that with the help of a number of activists and community stakeholders was created within the, the city of Dallas. But, but this isn't uh, just a city of Dallas thing. Uh, you see community groups and leaders joining together throughout the country and, and creating oversight mechanisms to, to provide some guidance and some direction over policing from a civilian standpoint. Right. And that's going to lead us into my first question that I had. Uh, So I'm glad that you actually brought that up so that I can piggyback on it. And so I was looking up just some general facts, just some general information. Why is police uh, oversight important? Why, Why is there a need for police reform? And the data that I looked at said that Black men are 21 times more likely as white men to be killed by law enforcement. So whenever you're talking about police oversight and police reform, can you tell us, one, why that's important, and two, how you guys are actually doing that? How are you holding them accountable? Okay, so first let's start with that data point about Black men being 21 times as likely as white men to be killed <clears throat> by law enforcement. A lot of that is due to implicit bias. Um, that usually causes a police officer to use more aggressive force against a black person than a white one. Uh, implicit bias is a form of bias that occurs automatically and unintentionally, but nevertheless, it affects judgment, decisions, and behaviors. And I'm pretty sure you're aware of such biases as black men being more prone to criminality or a bias that was in the medical field that black women being able to endure more pain so these biases cause someone who may be a police officer who doesn't live around black people who happens to have a beat where they are policing a large number of black people in a black community and the for whatever reason, they feel that aggressive force is necessary, and you always hear this response about fear for my life. You know, I fear, okay, you know, policing is a scary job. If you are so fearful, then why did you sign up? You know, the, the job of a police officer is to protect and serve. And we've seen many times when there's a white man with a AK-47, and I shot up a movie theater, and they're able to get them to surrender peacefully. Well, it takes time to to get someone to surrender. That takes negotiation. That takes um, someone coaxing them down. It takes patience. It seems like when it comes to a black person, they can have a handgun or no gun at all, which in many of these instances, no gun. Tamir Rice had a toy gun in his hand. He was 12 years old. And a police officer shot him within seconds of seeing him. But yet these, these, these white men that are walking around with these military-grade weapons, you know, they're able to get taken in. They, they assess the situation, and they wait. They try to, keep, they try to de-escalate. There was no de-escalation that's done within the seconds that it took for them to shoot Tamir Rice. And there was no de-escalation needed because of the fact that he had a toy, a toy gun. But 
But that's the problem is that I'll have to say grace. Uh, police officer, a white police officer may see this white person as a brother or kin or someone that they can identify with and, and they see the humanity in them. And as a result of that, they try not to use lethal force. But for whatever reason, when it comes to uh, a black suspect, that grace a lot of times in, in these instances, in just these specific instances like George Floyd, Mike Brown, Tamir Rice, uh, for whatever reason, grace was not available for those young men and correction for those children. And that's what's needed. One, for black children to be seen as black children, even by the police. And two, for them to be given the same grace and humanity and um and uh as as they give uh our white counterparts right and and one of the things that i wanted to say oh or i wanted to interject in what you were saying too for anyone that's watching because i know everyone's going to be like oh well what about tyree nichols do you guys are forgetting that that was those were black officers that did that so we're yes that was more of a a, a least common <laughs> instance, but when we're talking about the police oversight, we're talking about all the police officers, whatever color they are. We're just giving the some some, I guess, just some data and 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 like you said, this is more of a common instance where it is the white cop with the black youth that whatever reason they have the bias, they think they're looking for trouble, whatever it is. So, but we're for the episode, we talking about all the cops. We talking about everybody. <laughs> so, well, just just to just to be clear, implicit bias also impacts officers that are not white, and 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 there are plenty of black people who who look at other black people as also being prone to violence as well. So, so that that because the training that takes place is. There's not a separate white and black police training. They all get the same training depending on what state they're in and what police academy they're in. So, so they're all trained the same way, trained to react the same way. And so for those who found the Tyree Nichols situation, you know, alarming, well, those are black officers and this, that, and other, well, that's their training. That's the culture of that police department. And that culture doesn't care whether you're black or, or white. Right. And I'll tell you a, a story. Um, not, I'll give you a synopsis. <laughs> I won't go into the whole story. But there was a situation with my son. And, um, and so he literally was going through our side gate, which faces the, the sidewalk. And he was going through the side gate. And a police officer they were like coming down the street and they stopped. And, and so I was standing outside and, you know, and I'm like, I'm like you. So I'm like, can I help you? Like, what, what the heck you doing? Why are you coming down here acting crazy? And he was like, uh, so he, so they were like looking for my son or looking, they wanted to talk to him. And so I was like, well, he's inside, I'll get him or whatever. So he wound up coming out and it was a black officer. So he came outside, he was talking, talking to the officer and, and, and and so they were like, oh, okay, well, we didn't know because we saw you were going in that side gate. We thought you were like, 
the person that we're looking for that was like jumping the fence to go in somebody's yard or something like that. And, and we're like, what? And the black officer told my son, he was like, if your mom wasn't out here, you would have been, my first thing would have been to taser you because you just look suspicious going through the gate. And I was like, well, I think that's kind of crappy because this is our house and that's my side gate. <laughs> that's my sidewalk. So because you see my son coming through a side gate, he looked suspicious. And, but it was, I mean, and that was the black officer. And that's what he, he said. He was like, you'd have been tased if your mom wasn't out here. You know, I heard a story about a similar story. Um, uh, a gentleman was telling me about an experience he had probably a decade ago in Washington, D.C., where he was with uh, some of his friends and got stopped by police. And there happened to be, it was a white officer and a black officer. And the white officer um, went easy on him. On the, the guy was speeding and looked like he may have been drinking, but the white officer went easy on him. And the white officer walked away. The black officer said, you know, the only reason why you didn't get knocked upside your head is because of the fact that that white police officer saved you. And so, you know, sometimes it's our own that are the worst. All I see is that clip of Boys in the Hood. <laughs> when that little tear was coming. I'm like, that's all I see every time. I'm just like, interesting, interesting. Uh, but I'm going to keep it politically correct so we can talk about some real topics. We we already know what's going on. We watch the news. So what I really wanted to do, because uh, here in Houston, we just had a case and it was a Hispanic man and he was outside with an assault rifle and his neighbor came out. They had a baby that was outside. If you watch the news, it's it was literally like, I don't know, 50. Uh, this, I think it's like 20 miles or I don't know, whatever the city was. I think it's Cleveland, actually. So I think that's like 50 miles from Houston. But anyway, it's a suburb of Houston. And the Hispanic guy went in and shot and killed five people in the trailer. He went in, he shot a eight-year-old, the two moms, the kids, because they went in, because uh, they asked him, they went outside and asked him to stop shooting his rifle in in, the, in the, the yard. And it's like, okay, I would do that also. Like, hey, it's 11 o'clock. My kid's trying to sleep. Why are you shooting a rifle, even if we're in the country? And we both grew up in the country, so we know how it is. Right. But back then, we went out to like the fields and did it. It wasn't in in our subdivisions where we were shooting. I remember my dad teaching me, and it was like the swamp. We drove for forty five minutes to get on that little oyster shell oyster shell road where he had the cans out and shot taught me how to shoot the BB gun. So it was it's different. This is like we're talking about in real life in real people's neighborhoods and and it just seems like every time i open my my news app someone's getting killed something is going on it's all of this with with gun violence so can you tell us i know you are doing a lot of stuff with that you have an opinion about a lot of stuff with the the gun reform are there any things that you know of that you're working on that you're working with the police on uh, anything like that when it's regarding gun reform well, so re remember, um, I believe it was le the last legislative session, or maybe it was a special session in Texas where they decided to, to make open carry 
legal where you no longer had to go and get a permit in order to carry a concealed gun. You could just walk around with a gun. And I think they just passed it in, in Florida and in Georgia, I believe. It's already legal in Oklahoma and a number of other states. And so basically now you can just walk around with a gun and the police can't stop you unless you are committing a crime while you have that gun. And but but I just want to talk about some statistics real quick because people are quick to talk about certain states that have stricter gun requirements. Well, California, New Jersey, Connecticut, Hawaii, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, New York have some of the strictest gun laws. And I did say Illinois. So we're going to park that right there. Let me talk about the states with the, the least strict gun laws. Oklahoma, Texas, North Dakota, South Carolina, South Dakota, West Virginia, Wyoming, Georgia, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, and Arizona. Those states have some of the least strict gun laws. But remember I said about Illinois having the strictest gun laws, but yet there's a lot of gun violence in Chicago. I was Chicago. about to say Southside Chicago, right. <laughs> well, Missouri is right next door to Chicago, to Illinois. Remember I mentioned Missouri is one of the states with lax gun laws. So all a person has to do is go to Missouri, buy a gun, and bring it back to Illinois. That's how most of the guns are getting into Illinois. And that's how a lot of the crime is taking place in Chicago from guns coming in from, from other states. So you could have a state that has strict gun laws, but if the state surrounding you don't, you know, you're still going to have some of those same problems. And that's why there needs to be um, more of a national standard on guns. One, you know, they keep saying that there, there are too many guns in circulation and we're not going to be able to take the guns from anyone and and it's people's right and this and another. But the longer they wait, the more guns actually actually get out into the public, meaning that I think there may be four guns to every person in the United States now. Now, not every person in the United States owns a gun, but there are enough guns owned by the people who own them to give everyone in the United States at least four guns. And so this is something that's continue, just, just continuing to multiply and for whatever reason, when you have a majority of, of American citizens that want gun rights, they want, they want gun laws, they want gun control laws, they want national background checks, they want uh, age restrictions, they want to stop the sale of military-grade guns to, to civilians. But yet, our government won't act. Congress won't act on it. You know, uh, state legislatures won't act on it. And that's a problem. So one of the things, um, there was some legislation in a number of states that um, wanted to raise the age for those attempting to buy uh, assault rifles. Uh, legislation that would allow for a national database to track if someone is buying large volumes of, of, of bullets. Um, also, just a national database to track who, who, who buys guns. 
the problem is that, and I, I don't want to be political either, but the problem is that in many of the state legislatures around the country and in Congress, the majority of the members, for whatever reason, want status quo to to remain, meaning that they want to they want to blame mental health, uh, they want to blame person didn't have two parents in their household. They want to blame everything but the fact that the gun is the thing that's killing the people. They even, they even, some even say, well, what if he didn't have guns? What if he only had knives? If he had knives, he'd still be killing folks. Yeah, but if you have a knife, you're not going to be able to kill a whole um, movie theater. You're not going to be able to stab a whole bunch of people. Once you stab one or two people, they're going to be right. with With a gun, with a with a magazine that has ten bullets in it, and all you gotta do is is press the trigger ten times, you've killed ten people in a matter of seconds. And, and that's not even talking about the assault that, rifles. Like, no, you're not even talking about the assault rifles. And you would think that that you know once when the issue was with just um, black on black black on black violence, you know. You would think that when it moved from that to, you know, white children in schools, predominantly white areas being shot and killed, you would think that at that point people would act, but no, it, it, you know, they didn't even act then. And so for me, one thing that government is supposed to be designed to do is to protect children, women, families those that can't protect them. So that's what government is supposed to be designed for. But for whatever reason, our governments have failed us because of the fact that they feel as though they are beholden to the gun manufacturer. Do you know that if your family is killed by uh, a shooter, you can't even sue the gun manufacturer? You know, that that is uh, where we are in this country and the only way that we're going to be able to solve this issue is that we all have to be more informed and we have to hold our elected officials accountable i, I that think part. that social media is a great tool it's an awesome tool but i think that what has happened is that far too often we just take our outrage to social media and that's where it and that's where it dies we don't actually call our state rep we don't call our uh, our congressmen our senators we which we should we should hold them accountable we should demand that they pass laws that that protect us from gun violence that protect children from gun violence that protect our schools from gun violence and they can do that but they have to hear it from a majority of their voting mm -hmm. base meaning that if one person is complaining they aren't going to hear it. But you know what? If it takes 20,000 people to elect someone into a state rep's office and 15,000 are saying we need gun reform, guess what's going to happen? Right. That's one person that's going to vote for gun reform. So take that and multiply that by a majority vote in a state legislature. By a majority vote in both houses of Congress, and guess what? You've just, you've just uh, 
pass gun laws that will protect children, families, innocents. They will keep guns out of the hands of those that are suffering from mental illness. And most importantly, keep guns out of the hands of those who are prone to violence because of the fact that they're trying to scapegoat people who are suffering from mental challenges. And the overwhelming majority of people dealing with mental or emotional challenges aren't even thinking about trying to kill anyone. You know, sometimes we got to call it what it is. Some of these people that have guns that, 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 that bought them with the intent of killing, which in a lot of these modern day scenarios, the guns were bought legally. Especially the school, the school. shootings. Like they literally bought the gun to go and shoot up a school and everyone yeah, that yeah. that is a, a victim of that when they start researching it that's exactly what they say oh well they bought a gun online two days ago or they just bought a gun seven days ago and now they went and shot up a school so yeah definitely i think a, a lot of people especially I, the assault rifle sales there's got to be some type of regulation. And I also wanted to piggyback on what you were saying about the the initial anger and the upsetness and, and the rage that everyone feels. And it's so true. That's so accurate that you said that because that's exactly what happens. Someone goes, mm -hmm. shoots up a school, like just uh, Uvalde. I mean, the guy went in there and shot all the little babies and, and they're tear the school down and no, they're never going to let another kid go in, in that school and all of this. Great. Okay. Everyone's upset. All the parents are still hurting because their kid is gone. They'll never see their baby again. All of this happened. Oh, okay. Well, the bad guy is dead. And, and it's that rage for a certain period of time. Then we have the election and you guys vote for the same people with no regulation, no changes, no nothing. So it's so true. Exactly what you said. That is the most accurate description of it. Everyone is internet sad. Everyone is social media rage. No, it has social media rage. No one is willing to keep continuing to go. And then once it's time for the election, oh, now the politicians, oh, let's hit on these, these topics. Let's talk about these hot spots. But then again, after a year goes by, there's no regulation changes. There's no nothing. So I definitely think that was very accurate the way that you described it. It's just the social media anger and then it just fizzles out, but no changes are being made. Yeah. And, and, and they're counting on it, meaning that you see, you know, different governors across the state and different elected officials and they're quick to offer their thoughts and prayers and let's not politicize this and, and all of that garbage. But, they know that at some point attention is going to turn elsewhere. And we, I've seen it so many times where, you know, you, you, you see the school shooting, people are outraged and upset and, you know, they are calling for people's resignations. And, and then, you know, you find out that Beyonce has a new concert that's coming out. And next thing you know, that's the conversation now. You know, and now we're talking about about tickets. Then another shooting. And so the children that were in Columbine, they're all adults now. You know, you and I, I, I grew up 
small town of Louisiana. There wasn't a school shooting. I, I have never experienced a school shooting. I can say that. Me either. I'm pretty sure you can mm-hmm. say the same thing. You know, over the next decade, there are going to be more adults that have been victims to school shootings or at a school when a shooting happened. And it's sad that, you know, this is where we are in supposedly one of the most advanced countries in this nation, but yet we have more gun violence than some of the war-torn countries. And it, it seems as though the only way we're gonna it's gonna stop is for us to vote out the lawmakers that refuse to do something. That that's the only thing that's gonna allow change to happen. And I'm not and I'm not saying, you know, that you gotta vote a particular political party or I'm not saying it at all. What I'm saying is that there are people, if you look at the surveys and the polls, there are people on all sides that feel that something needs to be done. And so, you know what, if there are people that feel that way, then there are people running for office that feel that way as well. And so we need to seek those people out and ensure that those people are, are elected. Yeah. Well, hang on, Jay Robo. We're going to come back to that when it gets close to the politics, because uh, close to election time, because, you know, mofos uh, tend to forget these these tools. So don't worry. We will be back and we're going to have we're going to tell y'all what to vote for when it's time to vote. When it's time to vote, because you know they, I'm like they were like, oh, that's great, that's great. No, no, no. We don't worry. We'll be back when it's close to the <laughs> election time. But yeah, exactly. That's why we always say in the local elections is what you need to be focusing on as well. But anyway, we in Texas, all these states are completely different. But uh, I digress. We'll be back next year to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> so. So the last question I wanted to ask you was, I know with you doing the police oversight now and being really part of that, your advocacy, all of these things that you're doing for the community, and I know you work closely with one particular police department, but you're definitely getting data from other cities, other states, things like that. So do you find that there is a trend with other communities that align with the same issues that you're having with your uh, police oversight organization? Or do you feel that there are certain risk factors or are you seeing there's trends? Are there things that we can know that, that we maybe don't even, that we aren't privy to, that you see that these are the trends, maybe these kind of cities, maybe this is the population. So are you seeing any of this data with trends of risk groups and things that are happening behind the scenes? Well, let, let, let's talk about, let, let, we, we, the risk group is, you see, if you look at the profile of some of the um black men and women who have been killed by the police. Like if you look at the profile of of George Floyd, uh, Philando Castile, uh, Mike Brown, if, if you if you look at the profile of them, you'll see some common some 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 commonalities with them. Um they tend to have been less educated. They tend to uh, live in areas that are probably not as affluent. Uh, they live more in black communities. 
and these officers that 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 killed them probably would not have reacted that same way if they would have been in a more affluent white community. So that that that's one thing. Uh, another is I, I want to kind of clear up the misconception um, because when, when we're pushing for police oversight, those that are pushing against it think that that we're about you know, we're the, the, the Gestapo, we're the, the gotcha people trying to get bad cops. Well, that's really not what oversight is about. When it comes to crooked police officers, when it comes to police officers that should not be police officers, that is the job of the police department to ensure that it does not hire nor continue to employ people who should not be police officers. So let's make that perfectly clear. Oversight is more to ensure that civilians have a means to provide feedback on how their communities are being policed. And in a lot of conversations that I have with the community, especially when we're talking about um, um, members of, of areas that are heavily black or brown, they feel as though their communities are not policed enough. Um, but one of the things is that it's for the communities to be able to provide feedback on how they want their communities policed. It's also means for civilians to, to file official complaints regarding negative encounters with police officers. And now this doesn't include criminal acts because if it's a criminal act, it has to be reported to the police for an arrest to be made. But oversight also makes policy recommendations to improve policing in, in cities. But there is one huge thing, the, the obstacle that that is a barrier to many is qualified immunity. Qualified immunity is a legal principle that grants government officials performing discretionary functions immunity from civil suits unless the plaintiff shows that the official violated clearly established statutory constitutional rights of which a reasonable person would have known. Meaning that if they clearly violated your civil rights, meaning Say, for instance, and this is a real-life example, a police officer stops you under suspicion of drunken driving. They arrest you. You know, you have to put this breathalyzer in your car while you're waiting for trial and all this, that, and other. And then when, when your court case comes up, you know, they find out that you really weren't drunk. And the officer doesn't even show up. Uh, to testify. Well, guess what? You're not going to be able to sue that officer because they'll just say, well, he just made an accident. He felt at the time that you were driving under the influence and he acted appropriately. Now, in this example I gave you, someone was wrongly arrested for drunk driving. They had to pay to put a breathalyzer in their car, and it takes months for your court date to come or up. Could so be they, years. So, or years, yes, years, years. And so, but you can't sue them because of the fact that they have qualified immunity protecting them. So this is something that when it comes to policing, qualified immunity is one of the biggest issues that prevents people from getting justice. And what it's going to take is for state legislatures to have the courage 
to go against police unions, which are police unions are probably one of the most powerful political party in this nation. It's going to take that level of courage to remove qualified immunity. And it also, policemen are trained, police officers are trained in Texas one way. They may be trained in Oklahoma a different way, in Louisiana a different way. Um, there needs to be some type of national standard for policing so that a police officer in California is trained the same way that a police officer is trained in Texas and the same way the police officer is trained in New York. There needs to be some national standards set and, and ways to hold municipal bodies. And, and, and this could be a, a police department or a sheriff's department or marshal's department, whatever. They need to be held to those standards. Um, and until those things happen, we're just kind of putting band-aids on gashing wounds. And, and now, now one thing I will say is there are a number of police chiefs that do believe in restorative justice. They understand the inequity of policing outcomes, and they are pushing to, to bring that equity that's, that's necessary and needed. But, you know, I can't say how many of those chiefs are employed right now. We need, we, and we can't count on just waiting for that right chief to come in and make changes. You know, we have to make changes now. Right. You know, there, we have to ensure that there is no other child that's killed by the police officers uh, for playing with a toy gun, you know, or walking around with a hoodie right. on, or, or, just scared and running away. I Meaning, even running away from a police officer, if you're on, that should not be a life or death proposition. It should not. Right. And so there has to be some type of national standards of policing to, to bring this back into scope of what policing should be in our communities. Right. And, you know, like as you're talking, I swear the whole time you're talking, all I can do is just hear different news segments about things that officers have done, like the lady who thought she pulled out her taser, but she actually pulled out the gun and shot the guy and killed him. Or, you know, like I'm just hearing all I'm, I'm just visualizing all these scenarios of, of these things that police officers have done that are obviously we think are insane and they're getting away with it. They're moving on with it. And also when you said that about it being like one of the biggest organizations, all I can think of is those mobster movies where it's always the corrupt cops and they're stick together and the detectives in this but you're right like everyone is always talking about the mobsters and the cartel i got bad news for you guys we got a cartel here too and, and it's called the police department because they stick up for each other they they hide each other's dirty laundry the skeletons in the closet i mean it is a huge union and they're policed by themselves they're so that oversight is so important to have people come in that are not affiliated with the police department that can come in and say wait a minute this is what you guys are doing wait a minute you guys are training on this or not training on that so just to reiterate 
why that's a valuable thing that you guys are doing. So last thing I wanted to ask you about is, uh, I know usually when I have a guest and they have their own business or their project or something like that, I'm always like, okay, so tell us about any future projects and how people can support you. So I know that you kind of are in this weird predicament because technically this isn't like your business. It's kind of like you doing this huge job and you're overseeing this and and you kind of fell into this, but do you have any projects or anything that's coming up, anything you're lobbying on, anything that you're trying to do while this session is still in place right now? Do you have anything that you're working on? Well, right now I'm working on a project and and this is probably more uh, long scale but I am working on a project that gives people the tools to hold elected officials accountable. Meaning a lot of times people want to act, but they just don't know what to do. And it gets overwhelming when you go to the legislative website and you're trying to click all these links and answer all these questions. But just teaching people the tools of, of how to show up for their communities, how to show up for their families, and how to stay engaged and push their elected officials to make decisions that are for the betterment of their communities and and how people can come together as a community, as a group of individuals, because there's always power in numbers. And so it's teaching people how to come together, how to show up, how to be engaged and stay engaged and push elected officials to the finish line of whatever's to the betterment of their communities. Okay, got it. Okay, well, hey, I can't wait for you to do that. Um, uh, let me be a part of it. I like to invest in. I think. Definitely. <laughs> I like to. I, Definitely, I'll need you. I'll need you for the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me do, let, yeah. Let me be the spokesperson. Uh. <laughs> so, Jace Wall Robo, can you tell us your uh your Instagram, your social media handles, how people can get in touch with you, all of that great stuff. Yes, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Robo at J-E-S-U-O-R-O-B-O. And at, if you go to my Twitter, I also have a link to my Instagram. My Instagram is a little bit longer. It's But if you type in at J-E-S-U-O-R-O-B-O underscore E-N-O-B-A-K-H-A-R-E, you find my smiling face. And so, yeah, so Twitter, Instagram are the best ways to uh, contact me. Uh, if they would like to send me an email, they have some questions about what we talked about. They can send me an email at J-E-S-U-O-R-O-B-O at yahoo.com. Okay, got it. And I will also have clickable links in the podcast notes. A lot of times people are driving or they're listening while they're doing cardio, whatever, and they don't have time to look. No worries, because that was a lot of letters. I know, I know, I know it's a lot of letters in his name. So you're going to get get confused. So don't worry for you. We will have clickable links for all of that information. So do you have anything that you want to end with? Do you have a a passion statement? Do you have a power to change statement? Anything you want to leave with the listeners? Well, first of all, Holly, I just want to thank you for, again, giving me this opportunity to be on your podcast. And if I could lead with anything, 
it would be you have the power to change their communities, but only you can change your communities. You can't rely on someone else. And when it comes to those in elected office, you can't rely on someone who doesn't care about you to do anything for you. So therefore, you need to ensure that those that are governing you care about you and the direction of your community. Oh, that that's powerful. <laughs> so you know what he said? He said, they don't give a F about you. No. <laughs> <laughs> in the most politically correct way. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So that is Jaswa Robo Inabukari. You guys see that? See that? And I have a very strong Louisiana accent. So if I can say Jaswa Robo, so can you. Uh, so it was so nice to have this conversation with you. And I'm serious. We're all going to have, uh, when it gets close to election again, we need to have another team meetings because we need you to give us some guidance on who we need to elect into in, or who not who we need to elect, but how we need to choose those constituents that we choose to elect. Hey, I'm with you on it. Just let me know where you need me to show up. I have the facts, figures. We'll have a plan. Together. We, got, we got the list. <laughs> Okay. Thank you. All right. You guys make sure you stream all the episodes of beyond the fit. So you don't miss any of our important information. Okay, great. Don't hang up. <laughs>